Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Um, a couple of quick statements. As you may have discerned already, uh, this format of this service is a little different uh, than usual, and we're going to continue with that. A um, couple of quick things for you. One is we um, have something called Detroit Bible Institute that has been here for a number of years. We partner with other churches on this, and we're planning on having a celebration of this as well as a uh, fundraiser and information time. It's going to be held at our partner church up the street, uh, Bethesda, on October 14. Um, there's uh, several tables that we've reserved as a church here, and there's a sign-up in the back there. It's $50 uh, a place. But if you don't have the money and just want to show up, that's fine, too. We'd rather have you there than be concerned about the money. But there are several other families, I think, that have also designated tables, so don't take away from that. Our Costa Rica medical team is going to be heading out um, on October 15 on Saturday. Uh, they're going to be ministering with our partners in Costa Rica, especially to uh, female cancer patients with breast cancer, and so um, as well as instructing and training people down there as well. Uh, they could use some donations as far as for the medications and the supplies they're taking down. If you'd like to do that, that would be appreciated. You can mark an envelope, just Costa Rica, and drop it in the slot that's over at the information center at some point in time. That would be very, very helpful. And then two last points. One is that we have a membership class um, that's going to be on September, I'm sorry, October 16. And so if you want to learn more about the church, if you want to pursue a membership, just before service here, I had, uh, it'd be like three, four or five or six years old, somewhere in that range, seven years old. Never had this before. He comes up to me and asks if this could be his church. I told him, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was cute. I don't know if he's going to show up in a membership class. We'll see about that. Um, <laughs> we, do, we do have a minimum age. But uh, um, if you're interested in that, mark that on down. And then finally, just want to welcome back our 20-somethings. They've been on retreat this weekend and have scrolled in with us. So if you see a 20-something that's looking particularly droopy, they've been all weekend with Abdu Murray. So uh, not that Abdu put him asleep, but it's a retreat. Okay, you don't sleep much. Um, having said all that, we would normally take offering, but we've done that. So we're past that point. There's a few other changes as we go along. But one thing we're not going to change is a respect for God's word. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand, please, for the reading of his word. Reading out of Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Another translation says that you visit him. It's more personal a little bit. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word and upon our ears and our hearts and minds to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This message has overtones that relates to another subject. This message is not about that subject, but I feel the need to be upfront about this and to clarify that, as well as um, for another reason that will become clear as we discuss this. So this is not a conversation about abortion. 
But having said that, there are certain aspects of this that to relate. Now, if you're interested in our position in regards to that, um, uh, I think July 10, we had a message entitled Choices, and that gives a much broader, clearer treatment of this. And I would encourage you, if you really want to judge us, go to that message, July 10, and explore it. But there are a few things I do think we need to get up front here. Um, let me begin by this. Joe Rogan is currently the most popular podcaster in the country, averaging 11 million listeners uh, per episode. Um, he had a conversation with someone recently named Seth Dillon. Seth Dillon is the CEO of the Babylon Bee, which is a Christian satire site, and it's really quite funny, pretty intelligent. So he sits across from Seth Dillon, this Christian, across from the pro-abortion Rogan. And as the conversation turned to abortion, at one point in time, these guys with clearly differing views began to spar quite a bit. Rogan's words and tones initially contained more emotional bite than Dylan's. Dylan was a little more low-key. And some of it becomes clear with this, for example. Rogan said, with a pretty intense phrase, you do not have the right to tell my 14-year-old daughter she has to carry her rapist baby. You understand that, Rogan says. It was pointed, and he repeated it. Dylan was relaxed, though, and didn't ramp up. Instead, he went, and which, is, which is appropriate, to go what we call in the opposite spirit, to get quieter, actually. And he says, I don't think two wrongs make a right. I don't think murder fixes a rape. It is wrong to intentionally to kill an innocent human life. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human life. Therefore, abortion is wrong. This was his logic. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human life. We could ask, Why? We'll save that. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human life, therefore abortion is wrong. He continued on to say, and I don't think any of the examples of how developed it is, can it think, is it conscious, can it dream, can it feel pain? Rogan cuts him off and says, so for you it's the moment of conception. Dylan said, if it's a human life, a distinct human life, I think it's wrong to end its life. And again, we can ask the question, why would that be wrong? You may think you know the answer to that, but we'll see. I think it's wrong to end this life. Rogan kept inquiring, do you think once the conception happens, there's some sort of miraculous event? Dylan responded, well, I mean, at some point, you're going to have to say there was a magic moment that happens because you believe we eventually become valuable human beings, right? Where is the moment where you think the magic happens? At one point in time, then, Dylan made the point that it's blatant misinformation to call abortion health care. This goes to what we talked about last year, last week, the issue of words and the twisting of those. It's wrong to call abortion health care when it is literally a killing of human life. It's equivalent to calling rape lovemaking. Those are his words. 1984, the book, in this dystopian society, words are used as weapons, and we talked about how they can create or destroy last week, in that they'll call war, and they'll say war is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Those were phrases that were used. And here it's health care is not abortion, it's health care. It was only 30 years ago when former President Bill Clinton coined the term safe, legal, and rare. Only 15 years ago, Hillary Clinton shared that phrase. But now in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade, um, in a matter of decades, we've gone from safe, legal, and rare to basically saying abortions at any time for any reason. Now here's where I want to be transparent. 
there's an election coming up. And you could argue and feel like what I've just said or what will be said later in this is an attempt to influence you in that vote. Uh, Yes and no. I do think we need to be responsible citizens. I do think that we need to be engaged politically. Um, However, I'll say this, and you can disagree with this one as well. It's my experience as, as, as an historian in exploring American history that we have never in this country surrendered a right or a privilege once we've given it. We only did that one time in history, and that was over alcohol, and it was the issue of prohibition, and it actually spun the Roaring Twenties and a lot of the violence that came out of that, and we eventually repealed that. So I think it's highly probable, mostly likely, that at some point in time, this country is going to continue to embrace abortion on some level or another. I would hope that it would be something very constrained. I would hope it would be overturned entirely, so don't call me a defeatist. But my point is this. As much as I think it's important that you vote and that you understand the issues and that we involve ourselves, well, wait a minute, you're just thrusting your morality on someone else. That is what laws are about. We say that rape is wrong. That's a moral decision. That murder, theft, other things are wrong. Those are all moral decisions. So don't let anybody tell you that you're thrusting your morality upon them. That is a ridiculous statement because that's what laws in civilized societies do. But having said that, If this is not going to go that way, if this is going to go the way that history would state it to go, the position still holds. Because at the end of the day, and this is what the the, the conversation of choices in July 10 was about, at the end of the day, you will always make a choice. It may be a legal one, it may be an illegal one. Just because laws are here doesn't stop people from making those choices. The question is, what choice will you make? And why will you make that choice? On what will you base it? And what will be the decision that shapes that? So, that's laying it out to you as clear as I can, being as open as I can in regards to that. This is not so much a political issue, though it is for the moment, but the real issue is what you believe and what choice do you make, regardless of legality or not. And one of those has to do with why is human life of any significance at all? Why is it any more important than any other animal that roams this planet. Let me, as we now go into the message, because we weren't there, that was just a statement. (laughs) Some of you are like, we're ready to go home already. It's like, no, 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 okay. Two more hours, max. Um, I want to show you a picture of a gentleman. He has an affliction. He was born with it. So from birth, he has something that has contracted his joints As a result of this, he's been in a wheelchair, as I understand it, from the time he was a child. This is a lifelong issue. It was discovered in the womb. He was born anyway. And again, you may think you know where I'm going. I don't think you do. So one of the questions I ask is, given this man's constraints and and limits and difficulties, is his life of any value? And if it is, why? If it is not of any value, why not? What is... Does it matter, and what is the value of this man's life or any of our lives? So I leave that with you for a moment. We'll come back to that a little later. This scripture that I opened up with is confusing to us because we're in a series entitled Origin Story, and and Origin Story tells the background and the character of the person and and helps you know what motivates and has shaped them and and what their base desires or interests or focuses are. 
And as a result, we've said that Genesis is our origin story. It is mankind's origin story. We go to that to understand who we are and to understand the lens of the world around us. But we start in Psalms, which is written by David. And he's saying, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Another translation says that you visit him, and it's all done in the singular. And you made them a little lower than the angels. There are several specific things here that I want to kind of draw your attention to, but this is just raising the question, what is man? And why the value of man? It's in our origin story that we discover the answer in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. This writer really wants to get across the point that we were created in the image of God. He references it three times. In the beginning, talking about let us make, in our, there's a hint of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Spirit being echoed in there. Some want to say, well, that's the royal we kind of type thing, but the language implies far more that that there's something of a plurality to God. Let us make God in our image. Then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Let's get the point across, in the image of God. He created him. And then male and female, and that has implications as well. He created them. So this is the baseline answer, if you will, to what we find in Psalm chapter 8. Why is God mindful of us? Because we are made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? There are several things that can be implied with this. One is that man alone has a natural countenance towards looking up. Notice, even with David, he's saying that we are lower than the angels. doesn't say we're greater than the animals, that they were lower than the angels. His direction is upward, and that is where man's countenance always is. We are the only creature that looks up and looks at stars and wonder, what's out there? What's going on up there? No other creature does that. We have this upward expression. Mankind alone has a variety of facial expressions. We have mobile um, faces. We, we express so much from this. Uh, my son has a golden retriever. First time I've had a big dog. We've always had small dogs. And, and this, this dog is gorgeous, wonderful, and has kind of expressions. You can see the eyebrows move in a way that a little one doesn't. And you sit and go, that is so cool. It's, we really need to get a big dog. And then you have them run out in the yard and you realize why you have small dogs and not big dogs because... <laughs> Big dogs leave big things. And so, but the expression of the dog is just fascinating. But with all the expression that is there, that dog can still not match the human expression. I read all emails that you send to me. I read very, very fast. I type very, very slow. So I read all mail emails. I respond to none, practically speaking. But I do read them. And there's another reason why, not just because I slow type, but, but because I want to see your face when we talk especially if it's a contentious or significant issue, which seems to be the bulk of what I end up with when I'm normal. I want to see by your, by your eyes what you're feeling and not just the tone of what's being there. 
When we come together, there's something about that that expresses things. Dogs can't get that level of expression. Cats have no expression at all. (laughs) They'll go and do something, and then they'll blame it on the dog and sit there with no expression at all while you beat that dog to death and then go out and do some more stuff. But that's cats. We're the only ones that have that type of a thing. We're the only ones, man, women, that have a sense of shame that expresses itself in a blush. No other animal. That cat, when it flying through its teeth there, no blush. We're the only one that blush. We're the only ones that have a sense of shame, a sense of wrong and right. And then also, man alone, humankind alone, Chronicles of Narnia and other fantasy things aside, we're the only ones that speak. We're the only ones that have a human language. We talk. We look upwards. We wonder. We have expression. We have shame. We alone possess personality, morality, spirituality. In these three ways alone, we are made in the image of God. This personality, this, this knowledge, feelings, and a will, this sets us apart from anything else. I can sit here and say that this golden retriever has a personality, and, and he does. But that's not the human personality. You can take the most deformed individual, the most ugly whatever person you want to say, but if they have what we call personality... It's something spiritual that speaks and and reaches out to the point that as you engage them in conversation, you completely forget their condition because they just completely embrace you in such a way. Each one of us have encountered at one time or another someone like that, and we say, what a personality. That's the human equation. Morality. We're able to make moral judgments and have a conscience. Animals have no conscience. They, they may feel bad or they may feel like they've done wrong, but they don't understand what that is. They just understand that you've become disappointed in them. But we, we know when we've done wrong. We know when we've made the wrong choices. And of all of creation, only humans possess spirituality. We were made for communion with God. And it's on this level of spirit that we communicate with God. We're the only creatures that have that element that transcends the physical. This is all about being made in the image of God. And so when David's coming along here, he says, what are you that we're mindful of you? It harkens back to this passage in Genesis, this origin of where we come. What is it that you want to visit with us? And and, and he uses the title at one point, Son of Man, which is even a more personalized, lower level. So not just man, but this lower earthly Son of Man. It was a favorite statement of Jesus about himself, calling himself the Son of Man to, to emphasize his humanity in the midst of his divinity. And this is that you'd visit him, that, you'd, that you care, that you're mindful, that you'd spend time with us. What is it about us that draws you? We find as we look at this that it's the image of God. If we alone, if we alone amongst all creation have the image of God, then what are the implications of that? They're pretty broad. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. In his own image. 
Some people get confused about how Christians can support capital punishment but not abortion. They're both the taking of life. And it's said to be a contradiction or a, a hypocrisy. I'm not supporting you know, capital punishment necessarily with this, but the way that's done is simply this. Part of it's drawn from the scripture. And it all has to do with the value of human life. How could you end it? Here's the deal. When we end a life, an innocent life, not, not a guilty life, because there's a difference as far as killing and murder is concerned. In the original language of the scripture, killing and murder are two separate things. When it says, thou shalt not kill, it's not talking about lives as a whole. It's talking about innocent life. Not all killing is murder, because there's cases where there's a just cause for killing, self-defense capital punishment with the due process of law. Someone say killing in a just war. There's other cases where killing is accidental. That is killing, not murder. But when someone murders someone, when someone takes an innocent life, then what the scripture is saying is that life is so valuable, so important, made in the image of God, that the only thing that can pay for that is the very valuable thing of the person's own life. It's the only thing that offsets it. Now, that is a biblical truth. Whether we apply that as capital punishment in our current society or not, totally open to another question. But that's why, because that's the only thing that's valuable that can counter that or can pay for that. There's huge implications of this. It goes even deeper. The United States, in recent history, has only had, that I can recall, two ambassadors that have been killed on foreign soil. One was in Kabul in Afghanistan back in the 70s or 80s, as I recall. The other one was not too long ago in in Libya. Big issues, major issue. Why? Because an ambassador represents the country. He or she is the embodiment of the country. They are the image bearer of the country. So when you kill an ambassador in their role as an ambassador, you're technically declaring war on that country. Think of the implications of that as we take this to our conversation today. If we are the image bearers of God and you innocently murder or take that, you are indirectly, some would argue directly, declaring war on God. That you're literally killing the proxy of God. This, again, has significant implications for us. It's not just in Psalm chapter 8 or in Genesis that we find this concept of image bearing. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 We're told that we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge or in understanding, after the image of its creator. This is also a callback to the idea that we were made in the image of God, but that image has been defaced. It's been damaged. It was created in us good, but then we had the fall of man, as we said, where we chose rebellion against God rather than following the ways of God. And so sin enters the world. The phrase is said that God makes no mistakes, doesn't create mistakes, and that's true. And everyone in this room is created in the image of God. In the atrium, you are too. (laughs) For those of you at home on live stream, it's an open question still. (laughs) No, you are as well. So if we are all created in the image of God, if that's who we are, and God doesn't make mistakes, then that means whatever desires and directions and thoughts, those are all good things, right? No, because we are fallen in our nature. 
And while that image is there, it's, it's marked, it's defaced, it's damaged. And what's happening in Colossians here is saying that, that there's a, an attempt to restore that image. That's why it's talking about the image of its creator. Someone recently spray-painted the Washington Monument with something, I guess. Red paint, it looked like to me. And they're saying it's soaked into this ancient, this old uh, um, historic stone structure. They said that, that in its defacing, it's going to take a season of time. They didn't specify how long, but it looked like a period of time of treatment of this paint before it will come out of the, and, and, and be gone and, and stop defacing that symbol. In the same way, our sin and the sin of this world twists and corrupts us physically and causes sin and desires and, 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 and illnesses and disease and thoughts and other things that, we, that shouldn't be there. And then we ourselves embrace even more of that. This is all defacing that image of God. What Christ comes to do is to restore that in its clarity, but it doesn't mean that it's gone. The residue, the baseline is always going to be present in who every human being is. And what this means is that every human being has intrinsic value. Every human being has intrinsic value. Do Democrats have intrinsic value? Yes. Do Republicans have intrinsic value? Probably. (laughs) I flipped that because I know some of you kind of go the other way on that. Does President Trump have value? Yes, does President Biden, Clinton, Reagan, Ozzy Osbourne, Kanye West? How about someone who's gay? Someone who's straight? Do they have value? Someone who's healthy, someone who's sick, someone who's rich, someone who's poor, someone who's ignorant, someone who's educated. How about the most annoying person that you have in your life right now? And they're a member of your family. I say that because those can be the most annoying possible. They know where to press the buttons. Is that person made in the image of God? Well, it depends on the day. (laughs) And then my personal one, how about those who like country music? Still not sure about that one. All are created in the image of God. As a result, all have intrinsic value. They matter, including that person that irritates you the most. And you may sit here and say, well, I would never murder them or kill them. No, but oftentimes we wish they were dead. Oftentimes in the rancor of our society today, we think they're evil and horrible individuals who should suffer horrible deaths. Or we hate them. And Jesus said one time that if we hate them, it's no different than killing them. You're still defacing the image of God that is within that person. There was an attempt by Science Magazine to um, put a price on mankind, on, on a human life. And in wrongful death suits, juries and judges decide what amounts need to be paid in each case. And for the overwhelming majority of cases, there's no actual value placed on the deceased person's life. One legal expert said there's damages for pain and suffering before you die. There's damages for loss of income to your family after you die. But for the life that was lost, it's worth nothing in those deliberations. Nothing. 
Now we can draw some things. The families of U.S. soldiers who die in active duty, I'm told, receive, depending on the situation, anywhere is the family, a quarter of a million to $800,000. So we value an American soldier's life. At that, we could say, U.S. government paid $10,000 to the family of a brother and sister mistakenly shot and killed at a checkpoint in Iraq. So we can say what the value of that is. The total value of the basic elements in the human body, carbon, calcium, iron, etc., of a 175-pound man is roughly around 118, 120 grand. Largest life insurance policy ever purchased in the U.S. was by a Silicon Valley billionaire, and his life was valued at $201 million. And then if you're a candidate for U.S. president, it costs $40,000 a day just to protect you. That's how much. So whose life is valuable? It kind of depends on really who you are in our society or where you live, or what your nationality, your position is, is how the view is. We put a dollar value. But what value do they have? The gentleman whose picture I showed you earlier Ben is a Christian. He became one early in life. He's now a vocal coach. Grew up in Louisville, or in uh, Louisiana rather, and now lives in Nashville. When he was younger, he was tone deaf. But then he realized he had a unique um, uh, affliction that he actually sees musical notes as color and that he could align those colors 
in the right way, then he would actually hit the notes properly. And so he became this phenomenal singer. Does this person have value? Has your view changed because of what he can do? For the secularist, for those who do not understand scripture, have a biblical worldview, they say, absolutely. For those who are misguided Christians, they would say, well, that's an argument against abortion because, my God, what we could have lost. But for those who are biblically valued Christians who understand the origin story, they will understand that what you just saw does not matter as to the value of that life. That that person has value intrinsically. Whether they can sing or walk or dance or whatever. If they are a human life, then they are made in the image of God. And it doesn't matter how defaced, how damaged, how debased that image becomes. They are still a human being made in the image of God. And they are therefore worthy of respect. Even if they are or are not part of our tribe. There was a movie that this one producer, Cameron, put together one time named Avatar. And I I suspect that he drew this next thing from here. Because there's a phrase that's used with great power in that movie. In their book, Next Door as It Is in Heaven, authors Lance Ford and Brad Briscoe discuss the profound loneliness people are regularly experiencing in our world and the subsequent and sobering sense that they have very little value at all. And many of us, they say, contribute to this loneliness and lack of self-worth as we move throughout our entire day, rarely even lifting our heads to offer a simple greeting or acknowledgement of them. Ford and Briscoe contrast our relational aloofness with the daily practice that author Pete Senge noticed among the tribes of northern Natal in South Africa. The most common greeting equivalent to hello in English is the expression sawabona. It literally means, I see you. If you're a member of the tribe, you might reply by saying, Sikona, I am here. I see you. I am here. The order of the exchange they write is important. Until you see me, I do not exist. It's as if when you see me, that you bring me into existence. The authors write, a deep truth resides in this cultural practice. When we merely move through our days without seeing people as people, then as far as it matters to us in that moment, they really don't exist But being conscious of how we approach people we encounter through the normal routines of our day is a step toward bringing heaven to our patch of earth. The central statement of scripture about mankind is that we have been imputed or infused by God with a nature that is not a little higher than the animals, but one that is in fact a little lower than the angels. That our gaze is upward. That we blush that we have personality, that there's spirituality. In contrast to much of the world, the message of the scriptures is that human dignity does not come from usefulness. Chuck Colson writes, dignity does not come from a person's religion, 
nor their sex, nor from their skin color, nor age, nor because of their power or status. Human dignity is something that we are conceived with at the moment of conception because we are made in the image of God. A quadriplegic, he writes as a result, has the same dignity as an Olympic athlete. A Muslim, the same dignity as a Christian. A Samaritan, the same dignity as a Jew. These are our neighbors whom we are able to love as ourselves. The image of God. This concept is the most powerful, life-changing concept that has been existed. And while that image may have been defaced, may have even been marred somewhat, Christ came that it would be restored. That every single human being, just because of who they are, was worthy of rescue and redemption. So John writes, Jesus speaking, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You have value. And so do the people that you find that annoy you and that oppose you. They also have value. And while we can disagree, and in some cases must disagree, It must always be with the idea that that person still is made in the image of God and are worthy at least of respect of their personhood, regardless. Next week, as we continue on origin story, we'll be touching on one of the most controversial issues facing our culture today. We find the clarity and understanding in our origin story. Father, I pray your grace upon us I pray, Lord, that as we continue to process the implications of what we've heard here today, that it would shape not just how we think of ourselves, but also about how we think to others as well. We commit these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, guide us, I pray. And the church said, amen. Amen.